Hello, I'm John Waters, and I'm supposed to announce there is no smoking in this theater, which I think is one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard of in my life. How can anyone sit through a length of a film, and especially a European film, and not have a cigarette? But don't you wish you had one right now? Mm, 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 mm. And I'm telling you, smoke anyway. It gives ushers jobs. And if people didn't smoke, there would be no employment for the youth of today. So once again, no smoking in this theater. Mm. <laughs> I, I, will say, I will say, Seth and I were sitting next to a few folks who were there for the Detroit team. And uh, one of the members of their team came over to greet them and say hi for coming out. And and one of them was like, their spirits were broken. They well, were... no, like this was after the first game, and the people sitting down were like, you know, paying attention, but they didn't really know what was going on in the game. Kind of like how I watch quad ball. And but one of the people in, in the game was, or excuse me, the person who was over came over and said, like, this is uh, like this is the best we've ever done against this team, which is like so, so we're feeling good about this. And then I watched, it, I just saw the scores. That was abysmal. Oh God. Very, very that, was, funny. Yeah. that was a shit. And, and they the said, worst oh thing God. to happen to Detroit since the audio auto industry. Don't worry, Cindy. Little Timmy sick and bad watching from home will love it if you win or lose. It, it was his dream to see you beat these guys finally. But it was it's so okay if you can't do it. Demoralizing to hear that because like they were not no, that's, winning at the that's time. That's the opposite. Then, that's moralizing. And then, and, then, and then your fucking your ratios and spreads just got like wider and wider from that's there. Right. With Come be broken. Come to Minnesota and be broken across the knee of the monarchs. That's right. That's (laughs) what we want. Do we even need to play game three? I I guess just for fun. Yeah, it's just sort of like that. And that was was the biggest gap, too, because they were done. They were gone. They were finished. Wait, you make them... Is it like... Oh, yeah, dude. No, it's it's baseball rules. You get swept. Even if you beat the first two games, you're playing (laughs) game three. You play out there no matter what. It is so... That's that's what happened with my beach volleyball team. You made them Mm. wait in the rain, and then they came all this way. They had to wait an extra two and a half hours or something. They were probably playing at like 7.30 or 8, and you just fucking crushed them. Just creamed them. There was a moment where... No chance, no hope. I don't know who number 21 is on your team, Cody, but Mm -hmm. like he got beefed with with a ball in the the butt cheeks, and uh, it was like a really good shot from their team. Just took him out right right at the end of the... um, you know, at the goalposts. And uh, and then after that, it was like a rally and twice he fucking scored on him in a row. It was it was incredible. Like, again, not a super sports guy. I barely know the game that you're playing. But just to watch that intensity go down. Great job. Uh, everybody, congratulations. I don't have any. How do I not have any? Should we give it up for Cody and the team? Yeah, let's give, give it, it up, up for Cody. Mostly Cody. There you go. Thank you, everybody, for listening. He's to, pretending um, he hates this. Quad Love. It's a podcast all about quad ball. Uh, no, it's Try Love. Thank you very much for listening. It's a literal roundtable podcast about movies we saw or people we met at the Tryland Cinema in Minneapolis, Minnesota. You can find us on Twitter at Try Love Podcast. You can find the Tryland at tryland.org or at, or excuse me, at Tryland Cinema or at tryland.org. Get tickets there. Get uh, information about upcoming programming there. Find out if you can rent the Trilon there. I have done that a couple of times and it's going to be a ton of fun this summer. Check it out. Um, but for right now, uh, we have to get to the show. So you can find me on Twitter at Nintendoofus. I feel like a dribble smothered in Richard Gere's butthole. I'm Cody Narvison, and you can find me on Twitter at Cody underscore BH. Have any of you ever fucked an animal? I'm Harry Mackin, and you can find me on Twitter at Chitake Harry. I'm Aaron, and I fucked a cantaloupe once. Hmm. Are you 
Are you just there? That's the only place you are? Oh, yeah. No, you can find me on Twitter, too, at Arby, please. If you or the cantaloupe, it. as it were, um, obviously. And, yeah. we, are, we are very pleased to be joined by a very special guest. You know her from Revolver, our episodes about Revolver, Phantom of the Paradise, uh, Arabato, and Wings of Desire. Introduce yourself. Hey, I'm Kelly. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Kranzkaga underscore. And uh, if I don't find my skull later, I'll, like, slip my wrists. <laughs> I was oh, congrats, which... by the way. Kelly, this is her first, fifth appearance. I think she gets that green jacket that we give to... Uh, oh, yeah, of <laughs> course. Time the merch. Yes, right? It's like winning yes. the Masters. You do hey, it enough times, you start to get merch. I wish I had a can to drink that I wanted to drink. But right now, I'm drinking Aspal Cider. Um, it is not Aspal. You're drinking Aspal as- Cider? Yeah, th- thank you, Harry. It's so much. It's not Aspal mm, Cider. I, I really did, but I'm just trying to give give some ups to uh, to ask Paul. Uh, again, check out uh, thetrylon.org for um, information on programs and showings like the one that this is playing as part of the uh, All Hail Parker Posey series, uh, June 2023 at the Trilon. I'm not going to say too much more about this movie because we get a wonderful, succinct summary from my friend Aaron Grossman on the dot. Yes, indeed, folks. We are talking about the Doom Generation 1995 film directed by Greg Araki. Uh, the film stars Rose McGowan uh, as Amy Blue and James Duvall as Jordan White, uh, two teenagers who are in love with each other, whose lives are upended uh, when they meet Xavier Red, played by Jonathan Sheck, uh, a wild drifter who they're forced to travel with after Red kills a convenience store owner. Uh, what kind of follows uh, is a, an adventure filled with sex, drugs, lots of violence. Um, the film was quite controversial. Uh, maybe that's overselling a bit. The film was like generally controversial on release due to its extremely uh, violent, sexual, uh, nihilistic maybe uh, subject matter. Um, the film has gone on to be considered a, a cult classic. It, along with 1993's Totally Fucked Up and 1997's Nowhere, make up uh, Iraqi's um, Teenage Apocalypse film trilogy. Uh, The film was uh, tampered with and edited quite a bit uh, as well. Also kind of worth noting, a 72-minute cut of the film um, that removed quite a bit of the uh, risque content, let's say, was the only one easily available for for quite a while. Um, A new 4K cut of the original kind of whole film uh, was released in 2023 and is now kind of generally considered the, uh, at least by the director, as the definitive version. Also, yes, Parker, Parker Posey's in this film as a uh, sword-wielding, um, uh, maybe ex-girlfriend, maybe not, mm-hmm. who can say? It's very vague. Um, so shout out to, to Parker Posey. Yeah, she's in um, about 30 seconds of this movie, but she does have the best line. It Yes, she, she, she is in about 30 seconds, but a very memorable 30 seconds, although to this film's credit, mm-hmm. I think pretty much everything in this film is memorable yeah. in some it's manner. Very, um, very political, bureaucratic way to say uh, that a lot of this movie is going to stick with you for a while. A lot of shit goes on. A lot of yes. shit goes down. Um, uh, of course, uh, we wanted to uh, I wanted to open the floor to Kelly. I understand this movie has, you have a history with this movie. This was my first exposure, so I want to hear what you got out of it this time and where it sort of entered your life. Yeah, uh, thanks so much. It's uh, really exciting to be able to talk about a, a movie that I I love a lot. It's divisive. I know a lot of people who don't like it um but i managed to see it somehow when i was a teen and i owned a tape of it i have no idea what uh version of that it would have been whether it was the 72 72 minute version or just some other strange version floating around that greg rocky probably didn't like very much but uh i it really clicked with me i mean i think as a as a teen in the 90s who uh, was interested in punk stuff who's interested in queer stuff 
Uh, I mean, what could be better? I mean, it's so obnoxious and sarcastic and shocking and it's full of crazy sex and really memorable uh, line readings of insults uh, that are, just have stuck with me over the years, uh, including um, Parker Posey's awesome line. Uh, and yeah, it's been many years since I've revisited it. Um, the thing that really stuck out to me this time seeing it tonight in the theater with a sold out crowd, which is really it was surprising and so great and full of like kind of the coolest people, I think, uh, was um, how uh, how devastating um, it can be and, and how touching and mm-hmm. uh, emotional. Like I, I, you know, in my memory, I think a lot about the kind of more like, uh, you know, eat my fuck or whatever kind of sarcastic uh, Rose McGowan attitude and stuff like that. But um, it was uh, really, really hard to watch um, some of the, some of the final, uh, I guess the second, second to last scene, um, which I'm sure we'll kind of get more into spoilers later, but I'll, I'll save it for now. But uh, yeah, it's kind of a little bit of a like middle finger kind of movie. I think it's got a lot of uh, uh, influence from John Waters as well as some other, uh, probably less obvious sources like Gregor Rocky was a really big fan of Godard. Um, okay, but you know, I think I think that some of the satire. Makes a lot of sense. And, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, what did you guys think of uh, Gregor Rocky's heterosexual film? Uh, Harry was there very heterosexual in person. Um, Harry, what did you think of this movie? Yeah, um, I actually was surprised at how much I liked it. Um, I was really aware of this film's controversy. To be fair, I am an Iraqi fan. I think this is the third movie of his I've seen after uh, Mysterious Skin and I think Totally Fucked Up. Um, and I like both of those quite a bit. So, But I had heard that this one was sort of the toughest to swallow. I was aware of the highly controversial ending. Um, I was aware that a lot of people find it obnoxious. Um, I think that a lot of that I actually think it's kind of hilarious pearl clutching if I'm being honest uh, the movies react are the people's reaction to this movie I especially sure. like I went on letterbox right after this and I read a bunch of reviews and I was like oh like I actually like this movie more now that I've read all of these people who are literally just like being so stupid about it actually <laughs> upset about it yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. yeah it's like I don't know. I don't know how you like know. How have you have those people never seen Repo Man? Have they never seen a single John Waters movie? Do they not know what punk music is? Yeah. You know what I mean? It's sort of like I think that um, I think that the shock value of this movie and, and I think that the the la- utter lack of subtlety and the utter sort of like sensory overwhelming nature of it works really well. And I, I found it it worked toward a theme that I think is like was really um not only of its time and place, but also kind of um, prescient and also like so staunchly militantly queer um, in a way that especially in like 2023 feels really good because it felt a lot more like a Kenneth Anger movie than like a sort of like, for lack of a better word, like neoliberal sort of assimilationist queer movie. I think it's kind of about how queerness is irreconcilable with American culture and that's largely because American culture is the culture of Nazis and fascism. Uh, and I think that that's actually a really great point. And I think that watching it post-Trump makes it even more sort of um, prescient and uh, relevant, right? I think that um, – so it's, it, we get a really interesting movie that's sort of like – I would consider it like a really important queer canon movie. Um, and I feel like it's maybe ripe for um, reevaluation 
Um, if not sort of like, I, maybe it's been reevaluated in part. I think that it has its defenders certainly, but I feel like even as Greg Araki sort of becomes more quote unquote respected and respectable, a lot of the teen apocalypse trilogy has been sort of like dismissed as uh, really indulgent and sort of like over the top and uninterested in being artistic. Um, and I don't think, well, for one thing, I don't think that indulgent and artistic are anathema. I think that they're often the same thing. You said Greg Araki's a big Godard fan, so uh, Exhibit A. Um, but also, I, j- I just think that, like, I think that people shouldn't be so quick to dismiss the point of this movie and how the um, formal studies that Araki makes of of his film in this way um, sort of contribute toward that theme in a, in a way that really resonates or at least really worked for me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, well, before we can reevaluate anything, we got to evaluate. So Cody, um, what was your thought about this movie? Uh, evaluate it for me real quick. Sure. Um, I will evaluate away or, or do what I can. Um, yeah, I, I'm not, uh, I've, I've seen a few from Iraqi and th- this is the third. I'm literally just pulling up his filmography on Letterboxd to make absolutely certain. Um, wait, 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 wait. You're telling what, me you what, haven't what, pulled what? up his filmography yet? Cody, no, I, Letterboxd, Narvison? No, it's it's up right now. It's okay. yeah, it's, we're moving out of the past tense and into the present tense. It is okay, it is up. Nick is up right one now. of your friends' letterbox is one of the most. I mean, brutal things. It's, you can it's really one of do. the most cursed things you, know? you can do. Yeah, I'm going to hold on to that very very much. <laughs> I, I I've long suspected, um, but no, it, uh, Iraqi. So I've seen um, the Living End and totally fucked up. Uh, before this, uh, the Living End. I think maybe working for me the least best out of the three, just out of, because it's I don't know, it's two sort of angry men at the center uh, at the center of it, which is which is great. Totally fucked up it is more ensemble based, which um, I don't know just seems to again in my sort of early sort of uh, watchings of Iraqi, and as I'm getting into more of his work, seems to be more of like his bread and butter. I think his his thing works well with uh, a lot of colorful colorful characters all at once, and that came through in Doom Generation as well. I think it's probably my favorite uh, of the three up to this point. I really, really enjoyed it, and I think it has the the best through line I've seen from Iraqi up to this point about why all of, you know, the, the these conversations about sexuality and sensuality and identity and everything in between um just like why those conversations are important um especially in the latter half of doom generation seeing these three like these characters who are so intertwined with one another um and combative as a lot of characters in his movies seem to be uh, at least in the ones that i've seen um but them being able to have these um like open and non-judgmental conversations about like the heavy stuff about them sort of like self-actualizing finding out who they are that was just a a sensibility that i i really really liked watching play out on screen um and the the, i guess the instruments that iraqi used through these characters to have those conversations rose mcgowan doing very over the top um like post pulp fiction by the way not to just chalk everything up to like you know that sort of thing but just everything out of her mouth is just this droll over the top like overly acted line reading insult um which really grew on me uh, as the movie went it's really hard <laughs> really hard to take in at first um but she sells it really well she sticks to it um james duval being the biggest baby girl soft boy that i've ever seen portrayed anywhere um really good and seeing him in uh and totally fucked up as well and i believe he's in a few other iraqi works he seems to like he really he gets it he's he's such a, he's so 
well leveraged yeah. um, in in the Iraqi movies. He's that I've perfect seen in, in this movie. Absolutely. He's so, yeah, he's so good. So yeah, I, I in in as many ways as one can say they enjoyed Doom Generation. I really did in, enjoy it. Um, the last couple beats, you know, they they hit, and that was very jarring. Um, but having a day or so to kind of reflect upon that um i don't know i i i like i like it for what it is i like what i took away from it um and hopefully i like what we all take away from this as well that is that is me handing it back well i guess whoever we haven't heard from aaron uh aaron what did you what what how what are you taking away from this sure thanks cody passing it off to you're welcome the the weather um i'll say i i kind of i think agree with uh what everyone has been saying very generally and that this i I view this film as like a very yes queer film sexual film this is a film uh concerned with um capitalism to a larger extent uh, as well i mean this is like a i view this as like a very just perfect 1990s film in a lot of ways too um i kept thinking about something like very dumb comparison, but, but hackers, uh, which we, we did on the podcast, like, I guess years ago at this point, um, there's like a, a, this kind of repetitive nature to the structure of this film that I find kind of fascinating that I think is like uh, very purposeful, right? Um, it, there's like an inert nature, really. Um, I think that like the only progress that these characters make, um, are through like very, uh, uh, personal interactions with with the other two characters uh, in the film, right? And the world outside of those kind of sexual or emotional relationships um, is like completely devoid of anything meaningful. In fact, mostly like represented by like very small, in fact, always six dollars and sixty six cents uh, financial transactions at gas stations um, and at uh, uh, convenience stores and whatnot. Um, I, I think that there is like. There is something to the criticisms that like Harry touched on and also from like reviews at the time. I mean, like Ebert's kind of, I guess, I guess the big one, not to always go back to that, but he like awarded the zero stars was like, he thought that the entire film was like kind of skirting responsibility uh, uh, to its subject matter. Um, And I, I, I disagree with that quite a bit. I think this film is like very focused on these characters perspectives. And I think in, in doing so, it offers what I think is a, a pretty, pretty, um, like agreeable, if ugly criticism of the world at large around them. Um, and I, I thought it was really good. I will say that I, I didn't maybe love watching it and that it is like kind of, um, I think Kelly described it as obnoxious and like, I do kind of find it obnoxious to watch in a certain manner, but I, I think that there is something like some it's, sort it's of like artistic aim sure. to that. Yeah. Yes. Yes. There, there is like something artistic to that that I kind of like respect, and even like, even though the act of watching the film is like, yes, kind of like uh, uh, being poked by needles repeatedly. Um, I, I, I really dug it. Yes, and I, I had not seen anything else uh, from the director, so uh, homework, I guess. Yeah. No. Same. I, I'm, I'm glad everybody brought up the like sort of the strongly personal nature of the most like impactful stuff and important stuff in this movie, the any interactions with the outside world, as Aaron was explaining are kind of to be mocked or like liabilities onto the main, to the a plot, I guess. Um, I, I found it like by the end, it's not obviously so clear as you're going. It's what can make, kind of gives it that sort of aimless, but not pointless feel that I think I felt through most of it. I think probably my viewing experience was like Aaron's where it's like, <clears throat> excuse me, this can be sort of grating, irritating at times, 
the performances are over the top the um the the constant like the repetitive sort of uh instances of the plot the 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 road movie nature of it can can sometimes like it can grate to so to speak um and then but like along the way it sort of takes that personal slash broader context thing that, that aaron brought up and i think in an interesting way sort of makes it text where there are at almost every stop pit stop along the way of this road trip, um, Amy is accosted by somebody who claims to know her, whether they do or not, it's, she sort of dodges. Uh, and then they become like either somebody who wants to, or like, you know, professes to want to go and kill her or actually makes an attempt. Um, and like by the end of it, obviously like one element of that is in the neo-Nazi group and of which one man who claimed to have known Amy, Amy is a part. Um, but like it then in that very scene kind of suddenly makes this like, broadly explosively uh like very large statement about that outer world that was so mocked and like sort of at odds and and i guess um they could brush it off very easily as people until very until very quickly it's like there's this forced assimilation into like uh the inherently fascist the heteronormative american society where like rather than having another instance where like somebody loses their life, somebody loses their arm and they keep going and they're able to, you know, keep their thing going and explore each other and learn more about each other. They are then sort of like unpassably altered their, their trios then like obviously becomes a duo. It is not heterosexual in terms of like the, the individuals, but like in terms of one being a cis male and one being a cis, cis female, like it is heterosexual and they've been forced into this sort of heterosexual dichotomy of the relationship by who else but you know neo-nazis who rape a woman on an american flag it's like not subtle all of a sudden it has been very like comedic and you're sort of i sort of was expecting something maybe a little bit toward the end because this is my first iraqi as well um i was expecting something a little more like i don't know maybe heady or slightly subtler or something that brings in a little bit less of the like over the topness but it only increases from there it only hits the gas right in the very final i guess as kelly was saying second and final scene um i think that is like quite impactful it turned my opinion around about a lot of what had gone on in the movie because like i said it can feel a bit aimless it can feel like we're just going through like we're seeing the same thing happen again and again um i don't mean to say that that's like a knock against the making of the movie i feel like it uses that to a point but it really does like it gets into like a minute 70 that i started feeling like okay, this has really started to take all these feelings that I had about the movie leading up to it. And in this final scene is sort of like commenting on them and sort of interrogating how I was feeling about them in that first, you know, 90% of the movie. Um, I know I've talked for a long time there. So I think Harry had his hand up first, if there are any thoughts. Yeah, no, I mean, I think I think you're all coming at it from a really good angle. I'm really glad that you brought up the way that the ending sort of reconstitutes the movie, Jason, for you. Um, I had kind of a unique viewing experience in that I knew that ending was coming. Um, and I think that that's really important to understanding this movie in a lot of ways. I mean, it's it's really important to note, like you noted, it was a road movie, right? It's also a movie about people on the run. They are literally on the run from the world itself throughout this movie, um, sort of both literally in terms of the crimes that they committed or uh, were sort of forced to commit, and then also figuratively, right? It's like they keep having these interactions with basically demons who <laughs> see Rose McGowan as basically every woman, right? Every woman who broke their heart and want to kill her and possess her so badly, and they keep running away from it. And like, to me, that's kind of the metaphor of the movie, right? It's like, here we have these three characters whose last names are the colors of the American flag, 
And um, they are all clearly aspects of each other. Uh, you can argue to what extent, right? I think Kelly and I talked a little bit about ego, super ego and id. Um, I kind of see Jordan as like the innocence that both of these characters are attracted to and aspire to ultimately. Um, you could, But these are characters who know that their time is ending and who are desperate to escape from a world that is going to force them into something else, that is going to force them to be something else through violence, right? Through incredible violence and domination and hatred uh and they they know this almost instinctually because they've seen it their whole lives they don't have the vocabulary to understand what they're up against and to me this is a movie almost about trying to figure out that you're queer before you can't (laughs) you know what i mean it's like these are characters who are trying to figure out enough about themselves that they know the score before they lose everything before they lose their innocence right and to me that's what that second to last scene is right it's like an incredible loss of innocence metaphor um in about the most horrible way that you can imagine, but uh, still, and and then you get the the last scene, which I think is like so important to understanding the entire movie. The way that you said, Jason, right? It's it's a heterosexual film by Gregoraki. It's like here we end up with the heterosexual couple, and it's like, well, now you're adults, like right now, right. now you're in the world, like so now you know the score, right? And there's almost a sense in which it's like. Maybe they maybe they got far enough, right? Like I almost read the ending as like quasi hopeful in like the bleakest way possible, in the sense that like, well, like at least like Amy and Xavier both had this experience, right? They watched their innocence get taken from them. They knew what they were doing on the road trip. Like all of a sudden they have the vocabulary to understand each other and themselves. Um, maybe there's something to that, but yes, like unbelievably bleak, right? Because like it turns out that they were right all along, right? Like we sort of see their ridiculous goth sort of teenage angsty fantasies as um, obnoxious um, and like persecution complex. Right. And like, Oh God, like, why are you acting like that? And then, you know, they're right. <laughs> like by the end of the movie, like everything that they said was going to happen to them, everything that they were worried about did happen to them. And I, I think that like I, as a metaphor for queerness, as a metaphor for like, punk as a metaphor for like goth i think all of that works really well right this idea that like hey like the world is violent against me and it's coming for me and like i am going to act and react as if those things are true because to me they are true right and i I think that this movie is a really good expression of that idea i have so many thoughts all you have mentioned really interesting ideas that you know made me think of things i wanted to talk about but I think I kind of want to intertwine a little bit about like personal experience with also like things I've read about Greg Araki, like talking about this movie and the making of his movies in general. Um, Harry kind of set it up perfectly. Um, yeah, I've heard Greg Araki mentioning multiple times that he, you know, tries to make movies for kids who feel like they don't have any hope and they watch the movie and suddenly feel like there's hope, which is kind of funny when it's such a, a uh, fiercely nihilistic movie um, with a with some really tragic, devastating things happening, and yet also I feel like there's just such a spark of being someone who might feel a little alienated from their surroundings um, and who can kind of like see themselves in the film somehow. Um, you know, being a a teen in the '90s was kind of rough. If you were, you know, a certain type of person, it's definitely like you know. The threat of violence, uh, if you sort of flouted any sort of like 
heterosexuality or gender norms like was truly there and and still is unfortunately like there's gay bashing in a lot of Iraqi movies and um that is not not a dated concept at all unfortunately um so I feel like they they always have something that outsiders can kind of like cling to and you know feel like yeah like fuck fuck those nazi assholes fuck like compulsory christianity whatever uh you know i can find my little group uh and you know and do what i can before uh the world ends basically yeah it is very i'm assuming that it's very cathartic for people who you know people of queer identity like to be able to watch these things to be able to like in an uncritical way see these things be portrayed i think that's part of what like like Arius aaron airy god how am i gonna ever not do that by our powers combined <laughs> yes that's the, the the most annoying person in the world when harry and i oh morph together <laughs> holy shit can you even imagine <laughs> can you even imagine <laughs> oh we get to. killed immediately yes <laughs> Um, Sorry, it's, it's, it's well, it's kind of like w- what you were saying about um, uh, Ebert's review. I was surprised to see that, like, he took this very—I I won't say like puritanical, but like sort of a judgmental stance against the movie for not like taking responsibility for its act. For like, I think not following any man who loves boobs that much can't understand Greg Araki. You know, perhaps. there's a little, there's a little bit of Roger Ebert in all of us. Um, we have like I, his his that opinion is making me think like uh, there's. There's this, uh, like I was saying, there's there's uh, like that nihilism at the heart of it. This like, yeah, fuck all this. Like I am now, I'm sort of separate from the world as 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 watcher, as as queer audience. I'm sort of separated from the world. If I can see other characters who are, whether they express like identities of queerness or not, they are like themselves separate from the world. I see myself reflected in that. It makes me think of Amy's character and how like at several points in the movie, um. Jordan is like not necessarily antithetical or like judgmental of that, but she is played up very heavily by Rose McGowan as like this very, I mean, I already used the word nihilist, but very nihilist, like over the top, just fuck everything until of course there's a dog dying. Everybody's, everybody's leveled by a dog dying. Um, But he is sort of like standing there. It, it caught me off guard that there's that moment where she, I forget what actually exactly she's done, but his response is like, Hey, what did we, what do we talk about, about being less judgmental about people? Like we, we wanted to, do, and that felt like a complete left turn in the scene and in the movie, it was pretty early, but it made me think like, is there a comment there about on the part of Greg Araki or anybody who helped make, make this movie about like sort of that overly performative nihilism gen X thing that was sort of, that had pervaded that had like dominated that had like prevented so many people from either expressing or realizing certain aspects of themselves or just to keep people at arm's length kind of thing. Was that another, I I was trying to put in my head whether that was like another thing where he was wanted people to be able to see themselves and express and like know that they were seen and, and, and express a certain like indescribable feeling that a lot of people must've had. Uh, Or if it was like, Hey, look, some nihilistic Gen Xers, this is what you look like. You know, was it, was he trying to hold the mirror up a little bit or was he trying to say like, Hey, you are seen and accepted. I just, I, I couldn't square Maybe that. Maybe both. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean that was yeah, my big point that I was about to make. Right. Is yeah. that like, I think that the obnoxiousness is the point. I think that like very much like the comedy in this movie, when you laugh at how ridiculous these kids are being, that is the movie getting you to laugh. Right. Like absolutely. Jordan being like, what did we say about being less 
judgmental about people is hilarious, right? Like like Jordan having sex with um with Amy and being like, "Do you ever like think about our existence?" It's like it's so funny. It's like it, but like the mess is kind of the point, right? Like I and I think that that's kind of just as important as this idea that um these are people trying to figure themselves out is that it doesn't like we can love and empathize with these people, even though they're a mess, right? Like, even though they clearly don't have it worked out, like this relationship is bad. It's toxic. Like, like Jordan and like X is obviously trying to seduce Jordan and bring out his latent homosexuality, uh, at which X is sort of like denying in himself, but seems to be sort of like walking toward Amy is disgusted by X and attracted to him. Jordan is very attracted to both of them for very different reasons and on very different levels. Um, none of them are happy with each other, right? None of them are happy with themselves. They're all just trying to work it out. I think it's really important that that gets beheaded, right? Right. When they are reaching sort of I mean, they're clearly working toward an understanding, right? They're working toward a non-monogamous sort of relationship with one another that is ended before it can begin. Right. Like, I don't think it's an accident that Xavier and Jordan are in bed together at the end for the first time, maybe about to make something happen for the first time when the neo-Nazis get them. Right. It's like it's cut off right before it can get there. But I think I think it's like really important that like. I think the acceptance and the mockery have to go hand in hand, right? Like, I think, in fact, I think that's kind of part of the catharsis, right? Like, is the idea that, like, we want we want people to see us, right? Like, we want, like, uh, the, these these subcultures want people to see them, and that means also sort of, like, ribbing them, right? Like, it's okay because the call's coming from inside the house, right? It's like, right, Gregor right. Rocky is a queer punk Asian dude. And so, like, all, like he is allowed to say these things in a way because like the people he is making fun of know that he is among them knows that he understands Mm -hmm. them. And like, I think that's why we can have so much empathy for these characters, right? Like why, because like in the end they are like, they're silly kids who are desperate to find themselves and to find something. And it's like, this is kind of what that looks like, right? It's not actually like cute. It's really ugly and kind of annoying and stupid but like they have the right to be ugly and annoying and stupid, right? It's like that's what it means to be trying to figure yourself out. Um, I think it's like it's really important that these characters be the sort of like ridiculous, messy, silly people that they are. Well, the, the, it also like works because the characters are very transparently written to reveal their true feelings, even when yes. the things that they are saying are like going completely against that. Um, you know you talked a little bit about like Amy's nihilism and kind of, I don't know, kind of abrasive, like punk rock kind of vulgar attitude. Um, But like in each of those scenes, you can, you can usually tell that she feels kind of the opposite uh, of the, the way that she is expressing, right? Like she, she quite, quite a bit kind of, you know, is very rude and vulgar towards uh, Xavier, despite, I think it being pretty clear from the beginning that she is very attracted to him. Right. The hot, um, She's she's got the I mean, and who wouldn't, you know, um, the man is chiseled from for the stone. I don't, I don't yes. understand it. Yes. I mean, except for the multiple murders. But apart from that, no, um, including, you know, at, most, it but, sounds but like, like it sounds of, like most right? of them were cops, to be fair. Yeah, that's true. OK, never mind. Yeah, he's he's back. But he's being, fat phobic. Uh, so uh. He's a hot boy. Um, but the like the point is that like we, we can see these characters like kind of. pushing away or like attempting to push away from like the inevitable conclusion about where they're going to end up. Um, which is also why I think that like the, the scene at the end of the movie is like, 
it, this is like one of those films and there's like a few of them. And I always find this theme like really fascinating. Um, this idea of like violence as this inevitable conclusion that like the, the day-to-day lives yeah. these characters lead, like kind of acts as this like distraction from, um, I think like mm. Lane is another one that's very good at that, which is also, um, it's doing the same thing that this film is doing with its punk rock attitude with the idea of masculinity, oh, right? Man, that's that such these a good characters point. are, they're like insecure and they're unsure about themselves and they they are frightened of the world around them that is like crushing and they they kind of react in this manner that is very off-putting but it's, it's the kind McCabe of and Mrs. Miller of it all. Yes. I was going to uh, say specifically film, yes. uh, this is like how every single western ends is this idea that oh, like absolutely like, violence is yes. going to come through and wipe you out and like hey there's a reason why that's the most american genre right yes that there is you you can you you know you can try and escape to to mexico or wherever as much as you want but like there is this institute of the state that exists that like has power and absolutely will come crushing down. Um, it's also why I kind of view this uh, film. I, I don't view the ending as optimistic at all. Um, I, I, I view this as like extremely bleak and depressing. Um, and, and I also think there is something interesting as someone who is not queer. And, and I think I, I like this film, but I don't necessarily like see too much of myself in this film. Um, I think there is something fascinating about films that are, queer films or like punk rock films uh, specifically from this era that inspired so many people and really uh, kind of, um, you know, act to like help them, you know, uh, come to terms with themselves and whatnot, despite being so brutal and nihilistic. Like there is something kind of amazing about a film that like seems to offer no reprieve uh, except for uh, representation in some manner. I, 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 am I kind of like, wording what i'm trying to get across here because i don't i don't know what that thing is but like a lot of films from this era that are are queer or are um you know uh, kind of fall into that bucket like i find is like very depressing um but there is something kind of despite that in some manner that is um kind of cool you know i i agree this movie is nothing else if not pretty cool um and like you said there's there's a lot of shit crashing into each other throughout this movie um in lots of different ways and for you know if the last few moments of this film are meant to sort of cancel out any sort of glimmer of hope uh that we're meant to feel from like the upswing of you know these characters again like self-actualizing figuring out who they are their identities um like the fact that those things cancel out is not necessarily like you know a a, a bad thing I, I think simultaneously feeling that yeah there's a pretty it's a pretty bleak movie um meanwhile there are a lot of you know glimmers of hope in, in the in the cracks and I, I i i guess like the world that this movie takes place in aaron you talking about sort of the world that surrounds them playing into this um i got thinking about that uh a lot even just like from the get-go and i guess reading again doing like very cursory wikipedia research um before before hopping on here and not really like realizing that sure they filmed in la um but it not really crystallizing until reading that like they the crew intentionally skirted away from filming around recognizable landmarks um and the the phrase apocalyptic feel is on wikipedia i don't know if that's specifically i don't think it's specifically attributed to to get Greg Araki. So I don't know if that was like canonically his intent. Um, but one thing that I took away from this movie, like there's so much of the, so many of the environments are, are dim or dark. A lot of the movie takes place at night, especially 
kind of in the the earlier stages when these characters are just kind of you know assimilating and getting acquainted with one another kind of settling in there's there are a lot of components of this environment that to me like together like they independently share these elements of of comfort you know like there's something vaguely comforting about being in a hotel room with like your friends or like even your travel companions there's something weirdly comforting about a road trip granted they are on the run from you know the world that is again like looking to to over to you know take them over and squash them at every turn yeah but it's like peter pan right it's like they're right they're trying to escape adulthood right basically yeah Exactly. There's some. There's something comforting about like gas station nachos. There's something vaguely comforting about fast food. There's something vaguely comforting about going into a thrift store and thinking to yourself, okay, what's my identity going to be today? Like, how am I going to show up for the world today? Like, what am I going to pivot to? Um, I love that. So I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how that how that hit, hits folks. If um, like, what do y'all feel about that? But just like that sort of intersection of there are um glimmers of faint comfort like in all of the areas that these characters inhabit aside from the last five to ten minutes of the movie meanwhile like the rest of the world around them as you know the the world passing by through their the windows of their of the car they're driving to get away from it all is just hinting at this uh again this world that is that is looking for for them to not exist or exist but in a completely different capacity in in the ways that they want to i thought that was a fascinating dynamic yeah, it's like the movie equivalent, and, and I'm sorry, all the usual disclaimers, right? Like, as a white cishet dude, uh, don't I, – I mean, I, I respond to this movie, but maybe not on all the levels, right? Uh, like, I think that this is like – it's like when I used to listen to the saddest and heaviest shit imaginable in high school, like metal music and or literally The Smiths, The Cure, like that's – and my dad was always like – why do you listen to this stuff, Harry? Why is it, it makes you so, it's such sad music. Like, is this how you, and I was like, cause that's how the world is, dad. Listen you know, to Penny Lane. You know what Even I mean? Even once would have kicked you out, you know? Um, <laughs> and it's like, th- that's this movie, right? And I think that the catharsis you're referring to, Aaron, is both the hopefulness that I was talking about and the bleakness. Like it, they go hand in hand because it's like, it's like, this is a movie that is finally depicting for a certain class and type of person, the world as they see it right? The stakes as they see them, right? It's like, and, and like to see, uh, James Duvall and Rose McGowan together at the end like that. I'm sorry, not James Duvall, Xavier Red, um, Jonathan, uh, Shaq. How do you pronounce that name? It's Shaq. It's Shaq. Shaq. It's the worst. Yeah, Yeah, I know. It's crazy. Um, And like, at least like, I think that there's something very, um, life and identity affirming, about these characters understanding that to a large extent they were right about the world coming for them and that therefore like you queer punk kid who feels like the world is out to get you like i get it like i'm i'm with you here like the world is out to get you and like even if that is bleak there is something like you know sort of similar to like listening to really sad music when you're a yes. teenager right it's the like acknowledgement so- of it. something about something about it is like okay like i get it like finally somebody sees it the way I see it. You know, I'm thinking about like the first time I listened to Mitski's puberty too. <laughs> and, and I was like, Holy shit. Finally, somebody gets it. Uh, even though, you know, uh, again, speaking of things that maybe I'm not the right person to inter- <laughs> engage with on every level. Anyway. <laughs> um, I kind of wanted to pivot into more like stylistic and formal things, but kind of before I I go there, I I did kind of want to make sure I mentioned that um, I feel like the specter of HIV and AIDS kind of hangs in this movie. Um, 
you know, I know Greg Araki had mentioned that, you know, when they made this movie that it felt like they were at, at the height or the midst of an AIDS holocaust. And, you know, even these straight, ostensibly straight virgins are like, I can't, I'm too scared to have sex because like, yeah. I'm afraid of AIDS. Um, and just kind of, you know, knowing that at, at that moment, that was um, such a horrible and like, truly like oppressive reality for people like Greg Araki and, and the folks in this movie and his and his peers. Um, but uh, I was kind of I have like kind of like random thoughts about uh, just some of the things going on in the movie that, you know, I thought might like spark something with folks. Like yeah. there's always like amazing music in Greg Araki movies. Um, sick soundtrack. I absolutely love like just diving right in and hearing some Nine Inch Nails at a club. Um, the guys from the band Skinny Puppy actually have a incredibly brief cameo. They're the ones beating Xavier up at the beginning. Um, and uh, I know Greg Rocky mentioned that he feels like his movies, maybe especially this movie, are like a Jesus and Mary Chain song where it's like crunchy and chaotic and noisy. And yet also there is like a a sweetheart in the middle of it somewhere. You just might have to dig to get it. Um, and his visual style is so fascinating. I think, I you know, more than ever, they had a, a little bit of a bigger budget as in like, just not no budget for mm-hmm. the Doom Generation. Like those hotel rooms are insane. Uh, the look, I mean, the, the costumes, everything looks so uh, pop art and so comic booky. I think. Um and and there's really truly great cameos. They're a little like the '90s, but like Margaret Cho and um, Hollywood Madam Heidi Fleiss. She gets to just say six dollars sixty six cents uh, when she's selling the nachos, and like Perry Farrell, and obviously Parker Posey too. Um, so yeah, it sounds like uh, maybe Jason uh, that sparks something with you. Uh, a bit, I guess. Like I am, I, I was really obviously struck as most people would be by the very ending and the just like very smart, quick editing that it must have taken to make that whole sequence happen. And I know that I'm remarking on like the form of an incredibly traumatizing, very like uncomfortable scene, but like that is what sort of because I sort of like you're able to see where the violence is going, so the style started to stick out to me. Um, I'm assuming it was strobed uh, with just like very intentional cuts to where a lot of the actual like moments of violence are obscured and more the consequence of it more like the evidence of it is is there and that made me think retroactively about the rest of the movie where um like either quick editing is uh is employed or like close-ups are like it was really hard actually maybe if i watch more of these movies really hard to nail down like oh a style a thing that i would recognize as you know that's the that's the iraqi thing that i'm going to notice next time um because like there are very quick close-ups there are very like very very quick um this is maybe not, I mean, hopefully if we progress as a podcast, not the last time I'll say this sentence, but the scene where she puts her finger in his butt is where like, there's a very quick, you just see the intimation of like her hand on his back for just a moment. And that's like your connective shot between them talking about it and it happening. And I was wondering if that's like, was that a low budget thing? Was that just like, they needed to inter- insert something as like in, in the middle or was it like, this is the intentional. They had to insert something. Moment. All right. <sighs> yeah, bud. Um, like the the just the the editing the shooting i wouldn't recall anything in the cinematography like wildly crazily experimental or like off the wall but just the way that these pieces do come together the shots that they choose and the lighting that they choose and the color that they choose for each scene does it's like evocative you know it's not like it's a wild movie as i think most people on letterbox would say both would they like it or not uh 
but like it is in at least these moments, there is enough visual and auditory nuance to like at least guide in terms of where where your emotions are supposed to be. The scene where um the shopkeeper gets his head blown off is like that's a pretty drastic momentary change, and we then have it accompanied by like hard rock that or punk that that kicks in right at that moment, and that things are like really fast then. But the editing and shaky cam and stuff, those things don't really change. The movie it kind of looks the same. Uh, except for, you know, the obviously performances and the more paced uh, script and everything. I don't know it. It has this like the through line that keeps going is these people in a car, like Cody was saying, these moments of comfort that happen and like things slow down again. Um, and that is our baseline for it. And I think it's sort of like each stylistic departure, each thing that happens, every close up, every quick cut is like quick departure from that. OK, now we're back to, you know, it's not traditional per se, but like more predictable pace and more predictable like shot setup and blocking as kelly mentioned in the chat like this very it, it just like sort of adds up the pieces do add up it is now distinctive i'm going to recognize pieces of this in probably more cinema as i go on specifically probably queer cinema just because of like the choices that are made here and the sort of story that it aligns to um but yeah again just more babble harry uh yeah i mean like i i don't think that's bad at all i think that's a really good point jason um i think it's really interesting that um i think we mentioned color but like the fact that like cody was saying like i think that it's it's weird to say this right but like there are specific color associations with like shelter and comfort right like the the um hotel room is red the car is is blue the interior of the car is is blue and red there's so many like strobing soft colors associate associated with red and blue you know which are the two colors that are literally the last names of xavier and amy um meanwhile so much of the terrible things that happen in this movie happen in stark uh clear white color right like obviously the strobe light is literally dragging these characters out into the light right it's like they so often take refuge in darkness um they'll watch each other through um, the doorway in, in the darkness, they'll sort of like retreat through the darkness back to their car. Their faces will be partially or fully obscured by darkness. Um, especially when they are, um, together, when they are sort of exchanging, when they are combining, there's that great three-way sex scene near the end where their bodies are obscured to the point where it looks like they're sort of one mass that's moving together, uh, until you see, uh, distinctness at different points. Um, all of those things are like, it's again, it's like, it's a flight from the light to sort of refuge to comfort. And I think that um, the way that light is used does a really good job of alluding to what Aaron was talking about, where the characters are often at such odds with what they're expressing and what they're clearly feeling. And I think so much of the blocking and the cinematography and shot composition and lighting does such a good job of illustrating that like especially with with xavier himself who like puts on such a tough guy act but is so yep. tender with jordan and like is very clearly trying to like uh, like reawaken something in himself through jordan and jordan as the symbol of innocence i think so much about the way that i mean first of all like the acting is is really good there but also like just the way that jordan is like put on this like innocence pedestal even by the shot the shooting itself um and and by the the lighting, meanwhile, and, and like the way that he is sort of like surrounded and and um, sheathed in darkness and color, but is always sort of like distinct in of 
himself. It's, um, you know, they tell a whole story with like the, the lighting and cinematography here, and it does a really good job of sort of formally recreating what we're supposed to understand about the characters and their journeys with each other. Um, and I, I think it's really effective. And also he eats his own cum off of his hand. Uh, you know, just a thought. Yeah. Uh, with that, I'll open uh, the brand new, uh, wonderfully introed, uh, with the help of both former guest Blake Hester and current host uh, Cody Narvison, uh, the brand new intro for The Junk Drawer, and it sounds like this. What's in that junk drawer? You don't know until you hear it. Uh, my thoughts is one, one that yeah, he ate his coming. That's 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 just that's just I like. I don't mean to ju- be judgmental or prescriptive or like moralizing. That's just gross. That's just weird. Um, but secondary, the uh, the FBI guy who's clearly like just waking up after the presentation about Amy Blue. Uh, he's like rubbing his eyes. <laughs> he's like the only guy emoting anything in that scene. Uh, shout out to him. That's my junk drawer thoughts. Cody, did you have anything? Or no, actually, fuck you, Cody. Uh, I'm gonna open up to Kelly first as our guest. Oh my goodness! Um, yeah, I really I... threw him under the bus for this. You gotta come <laughs> Sorry, up with Cody. Some <laughs> I, I I deserve it. Go ahead. Um, I like that. Uh, although this is such a movie of its time, uh, that it it does kind of uh, you know draw upon a, a wonderful cinematic tradition of you know couples on the run movies like uh they live by night and bonnie and clyde and things like that so um and and that i you know i can see those other sprinklings of all gray rocky's influences um so even though it is kind of a like uh and, and you know Har- harry mentioned repo man i was like oh my god i've never even thought about it but yes oh yeah um that you know that nihilistic just scuzzy la it's like LA and yet like not visibly recognizably mm-hmm. LA. I have um, expected them to go buy yeah. a six pack that just said beer on it as they do in Repo Man. Like I yeah. it, yes! it's, it's that ironic about that about the world, yeah. Yeah, there's there's definitely like a lot of that going on in the convenience stores. Um, yeah, so that's kind of my junk door thought. All right, the rest of you boys, any thoughts? Uh I think that the ongoing motif of people recognizing Rose McGowan and uh, Amy Blue as like ex-lovers is really important and funny. Uh, I think it's just like Greg Araki is like really putting his finger uh, in the eye of like straight dudes and also their butts maybe. Hey, Cody, I just I made it text. Um, Yeah, I really like that. I love all the convenience store scenes. Um, Shout outs to like this is maybe a weird point for me to make, but like I feel like uh, Xavier and uh jordan are both hot in this movie and in like such interesting different ways that like i feel like it's such a good queer point to make like i love that like jordan is so over the top as like keanu reeves taken to like the nth degree he's like the the he's like bill and ted if like bill and ted fused and then became like even dumber yes and it like completely works in the context of this character and like we understand him as like this fully developed character re- regardless right and like i don't know i feel like anybody yet like in somebody else's hands like xavier red is such a hard character to get because he's so repugnant in so many ways but also like he has to be hot like you have to be into him for this movie to work and like i think that they do a really good job of like and i, I think it comes down to like something that i that i really appreciate in all of Gregoraki's movies which is that like he can take these characters who are so sort of 
warped and angry and unapproachable and mean and he can make you like them so much like i i really love like mysterious skin is an obvious example right but like um i i feel like i really liked all of these characters by the end even though like maybe i shouldn't have right maybe i i felt like amy a little bit where it's like there's no reason to like xavier he's a piece of shit but like you do like I liked all of He's these. He's got characters. the belt buckle, man. Yeah, the belt buckle is so, so hey, sick. Hey, oh hey man, save it for the next segment, okay? Uh, yeah. That's oh, what I yes. got. Good point. Uh, I will say, is this is the is the relationship uh, between Jordan and Xavier basically the relationship between uh, uh, Swayze and Keanu in the Point Break? You know. Little bookish one, little one on the wild oh side. Pro- probably a gay oh relationship there. Something to think about. The twink and the Maybe surfer. Maybe less probably it's, it's, in this It's film, the twink and the surfer you know all I mean? over again, yeah. Just 100%. Yeah, that's all I got. It's a, it's a great point. Yeah, uh, I feel like we haven't had, or I haven't put forth Cody's streaming service corner. So I will just say, uh, Greg Araki's movies aren't always easy to find. Um, Criterion Channel has a few. I know that costs money, but two streaming services that do not cost money. Uh, Friends of the Pod, Tubi. Uh, yes! Some of his movies are on, some of his movies are on Tubi. Um, perhaps more importantly, uh, Canopy, and I say more importantly because. Uh, I don't know. Encourages you to to get a library card. Uh, go over to your your local library. See if the, if they if they have a relationship with Canopy. It's free. Um, yeah, uh, Kelly, for, for a friend of Canopy. Nice to have a fellow Canopy compatriot on the pod. If I if memory serves, you get ten ten plays a month. Um, but there's a lot of good shit on there. Greg Araki. I feel like they got some Buster Keaton restorations floating around on Canopy. I've watched a few of those on there. Um, and this is not a paid sponsorship. But it could be canopy something to think about. I, uh, getting a <laughs> getting a library card is very cool. I do feel like, and I don't know the guy, but I feel like Greg Araki. I feel like he might be okay with you pirating his films. He seems like also, the kind please of guy do that. John Waters esque that maybe would be like, yeah, just go obtain yeah. these films in some manner and watch them. I would, have, I would have a lot of questions kind of, for know. him if he if he did support piracy, at least on some level. <laughs> yes. right. all, all, all that being said, I, I fully intend to, uh, within the next few weeks or so, to I know where I can find a copy of uh, 1997's Nowhere from Greg Araki because is it, it is not streaming anywhere. But It's I being restored it right now. Let's go! Yeah, the moment that Araki box set I'm not like a usual box set purchaser, mm. but I will be the first person. We have to buy a long-awaited Greg Araki box set. That's the return please. of the long-awaited box set. <laughs> return of the Mac. Well, maybe we all become box set bitches after the end of this, but we have one final segment to this. Well, god damn it, how is it not actually the one final segment? We have two. Oh wait. I had to close the junk drawer. I can't just leave it hanging. You open. keep somebody's, stapling somebody's gonna, on final segments. Cut, yeah, it's because I left the junk drawer open. The stapler goes in there. Now that I've closed it, I really ought to find the one that closes it specifically because it implies that we're still fucking around with shit in there. The rattling, but we're always fucking we, around you, with shit you, in there. You know, we'll we'll make it better we, if mm-hmm. if we hope to progress as a podcast. Um, we have two final segments. One of which is good grief, give me a gif. Uh, we have an episode tweet that goes out every Tuesday and uh, we put a gif out. Usually I make those and I want to know what y'all think we should make the gif for this episode. Kelly, what shots stuck out to you in a particularly gifable way? Oh, I constantly think about uh, the scene. Uh, it's right when they meet Xavier and Rose McGowan's like throwing him out of the car and their faces are right next to each other. And then 
James Duvall's little face floats up with his big eyes, just kind of like watching it go down. It lives in my memory. It's so funny to me. They do that a few times between those two characters uh, where it's like one's upside down and one is right side up. And it's just it's just the cutest thing. It's a little yin and yang uh, situation. I wish they had done that in Point Break. Um, Cody, what stuck out? Sure. Uh, about 10 minutes, 30 seconds there. It's their first convenience store trip. It's in front of the, sh- the sign that says shoplifters will be executed. And it's Rose McGowan's scowling face on the left hand side. And then speaking of the great blocking in this movie, um, James Duvall kind of like slowly, timidly creeps into the frame in front of her to like check out his stuff that just like visually sets up the relationship between these two characters extremely well. Um, I penciled that in hoping that that would be the case. And it was a pretty good representation of that. Uh, and then again, really uh, another one really quick uh, about one hour, one minute, 33 seconds. This is when they're in the, um, I'm blanking, blanking out library slash bookstore. Um, it's X and, um, oh God, X and, and Jordan, excuse me. I'm flipping between actor and character names. Uh, X and Jordan in front of a bookshelf and it's the, the thought or speech bubbles. I can't remember which that say down with dope. And then the other one says up with hope. Uh, that was, that was really exquisite. Um, so those are my picks. Some of mine too. Harry. That one was really good. I got to mention the belt buckle. Um, I think it would make a really good GIF. Probably be really easy to sort of like loop. Um, you know, get X eating his cum. That would be a good GIF. Let's go. Yeah, okay, that's like two two strikes in the last like <laughs> month of this podcast. That's two strikes. You've asked for kids pissing themselves before being exploded and a guy eating his own. I don't know. I don't know. Like again, I'm well, trying maybe to maybe try be... to be a little bit more open minded. Take a I walk guess. on the wild side, Jason. Maybe it's, Pride yeah, it's Pride Month. It's Pride Month. It's Pride. Uh, let's see what else. Um, I'll limit to one more. Uh, what was the one I was thinking of? Oh, um, I really love the final scene where they're sitting together uh, in the car, just devastated, and then he slowly reaches into the bag of chips and pulls out, and he's like, "Dorito." Uh, if you could, if you specifically, if you could get the subtitles that says "Dorito" down at the bottom, that would be a really good GIF, I think. Those are mine. We'll see. We'll see. Aaron? I was I was l- l- not joking about this, literally hoping that I could go uh, uh, after at least most people, but hopefully everybody, uh, so that I could veto anybody who said the cum eating. I, I would, That's another two strikes. Again, I did, I did that, that, I did that once before, and I just feel this like... Shit every time. I, you know, I... Uh, okay, well, if I can't do that, although I would very much like to, I will say I like the, the shot of the, the guy with the sword in his dick on the pool table. That's a good one. I almost picked that's that one. That's a very good one. And it's yeah. got Parker Posey, which and Parker is Parker Posey's, kind of, like, you know, kneeling over. It's very cool. That's the problem. I'm like, I'm glad Trilon got Doom Generation, and I'm, I mean, I'm thrilled. It's, like, the best thing that's happened to me. Uh, and yet I'm like, uh. Parker Posey's barely in this. <laughs> <laughs> it is a stretch. Uh, but you know, Just give us a Gregoraki series. Come that's, on. That's the price of Posey. Uh, we have yeah. another final segment to the show. Wait, 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 wait. Jason, your picks. Oh, what are I'm you so doing? sorry. I never, I never service myself. You know, the uh, cobble. <gasps> yeah, we know, buddy. From this we know, buddy. We know, buddy. I was going to say the shop. Your picks, will, please. The shop, shop will be shot. The down with dope. Um, I do have other ones written down. I'm sorry. I put them at the bottom of my document, so I've lost it. Uh, yeah, those those were the main ones. Uh, the, the belt buckle also was really good. I think specifically, not just the shot where it's being lenticular, like wibbled, but the shot where Jordan's hand comes in and also grabs it is, I think, uh, not to like show my hand too much. That's 
pretty close to top choice for the gif, honestly, knowing that at least one other person wanted to see that. Um, so yeah, thank you for indulging that one final second. We do not have uh, a, a sort of a, another sound effect for that just yet. Uh, Kelly insists that it's pride and we should have the cum gif. Maybe we see the cum. Maybe, maybe, maybe. <laughs> no, 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 argument. just the, just the belt buckle. Oh, that's enough? I mean, okay. you know, I wouldn't argue, but. <laughs> don't, yeah. don't capitulate. Don't <laughs> The belt buckle has his pubes poking over the top. Like, I feel like that's risque. I think enough, that's, right? I think that's just the, that's just the treasure tra- trail, right? I don't know that those are actually his pubes. Treasure, but, you trail. know, see- yeah, that's a term, yeah. Jason. I've Look heard happy trail, up. treasure. Yeah, you've never heard treasure trail. Never heard treasure trail. I've heard happy trail. Homeschooling. 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 This is he's homeschooling. Got the, he's this is got another the mustache yet and another result. <laughs> I know, right? It's fucked up. It's you, not you right. Don't Looking wanna, like you the pervious guy on the, the podcast uh, doesn't know. You don't want to know that the, what the stomach muscles get called then. Oh, I, I remember. I remember oh, that. no. <laughs> I, I did oh, have no. friends at, friends in high school uh, who were. Anyway, we have uh, one actual Ooh, final, ugh, final segment to the show. Thank you so much, for Cody, for reminding me to get my own gift in six selections. But uh, this, seg- this uh, you have more to perform uh, than I do in this last one. Um, after a quick performance by me and Harry. Harry? Yeah, uh, performance of the final segment introduction. Oh, not, ju- not just me and Harry. Sorry, Kelly did oh. this so fucking well last time. You were I'm on top in. Of it. So please, if you would join us please, one more time, yes, uh, thank make you. it a trio. Harry, you can't stop. With pleasure. Yes, it's the segment we'd like to call <gasps> Cody's, Cody's Noties. Wow, thank you all. You are so, so much. welcome. Yeah, and I'm very pleased to report that that introduction cost a measly $6.66. So thank you for that. Hey. Uh, I'd, I'd like for us to highlight the various exciting filmographies of the cast of the film that we've been discussing through something I like to call the Doom Trilovation. Yeah, I know. I will present each item of trivia one at a time. This will be a trivia thing. Uh, so one at a time, I will read those off after reading. Each prompt, I will ask y'all in alphabetical by first name order to respond. You'll get a point for every correct answer or closest to the correct answer, depending on the nature of the question. And the person with the most points at the end will win. As always, Trivia Mafia rules apply here. So that means use your noodles, not your Googles. With that, as I swallow ham's mouthfeel um, and prepare. Does that yeah. feel like anything what do you in mean, particular? Uh, yeah, it feels like heaven's nectar. Thanks what are you, what are you swallowing there, Cody? Yeah, 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 yeah. I literally just said hams. Um, I'm swallowing hams. Good choice. Uh, anything else I swallow will be after we get off the hot mic. Uh, we're going to start with Nikki Cat. Uh, we're start with Nikki Cat, who portrayed the Carnoburger cashier in Greg Araki's The Dune Generation. Nikki Cat has occupied a lot of side character and bit role types in many popular movies. Uh, School of Rock, Dazed and Confused, Sin City. He also plays someone credited as Counter Guy. In Death Proof, I don't remember hmm. Death Proof super well, but he's Counter Guy in Death Proof. And Death Proof, you'll remember, is the 2007 Tarantino-directed film that was part of that grindhouse thing and focuses on car-based murders. How tall must one be to be able to transition out of a booster seat in the state of Minnesota? Aaron? How tall must he, he really one did be top uh, himself, didn't he? to transition out of a booster seat? In the state of Minnesota, um, going by my Minnesota law, like yeah, of, but, but you, like a like a kid's boot. What? Yes, yeah, yeah, like a kid's. I mean, bizarre though it is. Booster seat. Motherfucker, though, you know what a booster seat is. It is a straightforward question. I will admit, like I am caught yeah. off guard, but it's still pretty like easily How guessable. How tall does I? You know, I guess I didn't know that there. I thought. I guess it does make sense. Yeah, devil make care around pants. that. Yeah. yeah. Um, how tall a boost? It's what the seat. law says. Obviously, okay, so you know everybody's mileage. Feet. Everybody's mileage may vary, but um, 
I feel yeah. like three feet okay, is too so big. Listener, so listener say, he's using his hand to describe. measure from the ground. Uh, he's also sitting, so this always affects your perception. Oh, so it's about fucking uh, eight and a half feet, so we got to bring that down. Uh, I'm going to say 26 inches. To, do you, okay, 26 inches. Transition so. outside of a boot. I mean, yeah, a little over two. I mean, a booster seat. No. Uh, Aaron, that's like fuck. this long. 30, I'm going to 30 inches. I, I mean, th- a three foot, like, I don't, do they have to be in a booster seat? A three, that's, the, I don't, not, not, I don't to be fucking know, man. Not to be a stickler. If I could get this in feet and inches, I can do the math. But so right, are you I'm, going with you know 30? 30, 30, I'm going to, I'm going to say you, you've, you've all harassed me into picking a larger, I'm going to say three feet. Three. All right. Three feet. Got you locked in. Moving down the line to Harry. What's your guess for this? Uh, ex- again, extremely straightforward. Thanks. Question. Yeah, uh, I'm going to go with four feet because it's a reasonable answer. Thanks, Cody. All right. Four feet, zero inches. Kicking it down to Jason. What do you what do you think? Sorry, I had to cough. Some, somebody else had burps. <laughs> No, it's a cough. I'm sorry. Sorry. Um, it was water. Oh, actually, no, it, I got done with my cider. Yeah, coughs are just like you know annoying burps. Yeah, uh, please, please continue. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna go with three feet three inches. Three feet three inches, and finally, Kelly, what's what's your take on this? Uh, I was gonna say three feet, but I'll say two feet ten inches. Two feet ten inches. Wow, two feet ten inches should not be hooping. Uh, none of these, none of these people <laughs> should be, uh, going off one source on the internet. And that's, that's Minis- the Minnesota law book about vehicular whatevers. Children can transition out of a bo- tra- um, transition. Let me take that again. Children can transition out of a booster seat, uh, starting at age eight. And once they hit four feet, nine inches tall, Whoa. that is what the law says. That's that so what, tall. I like. That there's adults. I, I, no, I was going to say there's, there's some adults that you know? Danny DeVito should be in a booster seat. <laughs> no, it is now, what I, the law says. I know this because it is such a fucking like it is a social mishap that you see kids so tall still riding in. Maybe that has to change someday. But like booster seats that are clearly made for small adults, kind of thing. And it's mm-hmm. like, oh, kids have to use this until they're like eleven years old, and it feels obscene. I should have guessed even higher. It's all good. We all learned a little something about uh, how ridiculous laws can be today. Uh, next, we're going to turn it to... Which is why uh, you shouldn't follow any of them. Cha-ching, cha-ching, bling, bling, bling. That is the sound. I'm just going to continue. Uh, the, those, are, those are the sounds of um, uh, anti-establishment podcasting. We're going we're to turn to Rose McGowan for number two, uh, who portrayed Amy in The Doom Generation. A year after The Doom Generation came out, McGowan was in the first Scream film. Uh, My question for you all, what was the on-screen body count in 1996's Scream? Aaron? Uh, Listener, uh, he's holding up his arm (laughs) while he's sitting down to to gauge. I feel like it's one of those films that probably just has like three people, you know what I mean? Like, you know, uh, although that that was well, uh, I'm going to go six people on screen. Yeah, right. Aaron is going six people. Got you penciled in. Uh, Next, Harry, what's what's your take for the body count and scream? Um, I don't I've never seen scream, actually. Uh, I'm going to go with Mm. seven. Sorry, Aaron. 
right. Harry is going with seven. Moving down the line to Jason, 1996's Scream. How many people died on Scream? I, I on got Scream? A, on Screen. On, on Screen and Scream. Yeah, scream and Even I fucked that up. I'm going to go with six. Jason is also going with six. Solidarity with Aaron Grossman. <laughs> Um, I feel like that's straight n- on. Not covering the spread, uh, <laughs> <laughs> which uh, because there are only three numbers. Uh, now, Kelly, are you going to co- cover the, sp- the spread and pick the third number? Uh, what do you think for this? I'm going to guess 10. Kelly's guessing 10. I love it. Um, loves the blood, loves the guts, loves the on-screen deaths. There is only one correct answer, however. And uh, somebody here got it on the button. It's Harry with seven. The bo- body part of screen 1996 is, is evidently seven. Shouldn't so is that Harry? That kind of uh, I, I was gonna say Harry hasn't seen Scream though. So Fine. should I? Should I give him that point? What, what, let me hear no, it from the you crowd. Should not give him that point. No, okay, I'm, I'm saying no. So, all right, uh, I'll, I'll give it to him, but it's it's conditional. Harry, you got to watch Scream within the next, uh, we'll say, sixty days. I'll get right uh, on Thirty that. days. Thirty days. Thirty days. Thirty days seems fair. I'm gonna mark that down. Harry, Scream. Thirty days. We're gonna schedule you, a tweet. You know that the people would come for you if you denied me my point and in such an unprecedented way. They would cease to recognize this criminal enterprise that we call Cody's Noties. That's right. There are many people outside of this digital space that care way more about this than any of us here. I could not have said it better <laughs> myself. Uh, for question three, we're going to take a look at Jonathan Sheck, who played Xavier, aka X, and a year later, after Doom Generation, fun theme of uh, a year after Doom Generation coming out, these actors all being in, in huge hits, more on that later, played uh, Jonathan Sheck played Jimmy in That Thing You Do, the feature film directorial debut from Tom Hanks. My question for you is, which value is greater? The amount that That Thing You Do grossed domestically in its opening theatrical weekend, or the Doom Generation's total international domestic international everything box office intake from its complete run which one of those is higher aaron i know the latter i don't know the former i'm gonna go with the former so the the that thing you do opening weekend okay opening weekend yeah yeah that thing you do all right gotcha lucked in harry what do you think man i think in the interest of covering the spread and also it feels like the way this question is framed that thing you do is the real obvious answer so i'm gonna bank on cody being a little tricky and i'm gonna go with doom generation this time around i have faith all right, Cody the Trickster coming through. Uh, Harry's uh, in the interest of covering the spread again. Very noble. Um, Doom Generation locks you in. I got you locked in for that. Rather, Jason, over to you next. What's your pick for this? Going to go with, uh, 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 yeah, that thing you do, please. All right, and Jason, tell me, have you seen that thing you do? I have seen that thing you do, Cody, and it's wonderful. Yeah. Okay, so not a conditional point situation. That's very good to know. Uh, <laughs> and Kelly, over to you. What's your, what's your pick here? I really, I'm like, I understand what Harry's saying, and I feel like that might be true, but I still think I might have to go with that thing you do. Yes. (laughs) I mean, Doom Generation made probably no money, right? I don't know. We'll find out. We'll find out uh, in just a few seconds. That thing you do made about $6.2 in its opening domestic weekend, while the Doom Generation took in total, uh, domestically, internationally, the whole shebang. About two hundred eighty-five thousand 
dollars. Uh, big big stinker. Um, That's like way less than its budget too. Eight hundred stinker. I think yes, eight hundred. Yes. Yeah. yeah it's, big stinker. Yeah, very unfortunate. I haven't seen that thing you do. Uh, I think Doom Generation is a better movie than that movie. I don't think that Tom Hanks has a great directorial. Uh, I that thing you do is a great movie. Great movie. Uh, it's but cute. I, really, I, I I think the Doom Generation. I I prefer. It. They're both great. We don't have to pit two strong women against each other. Is the thing. Uh, they're both great movies. Anybody else have thoughts on that? Yeah. Um, no, is, yeah, I didn't right. think so. We don't have to pit two great underdogs of Hollywood against each other: <laughs> Greg Araki and Tom Hanks. <laughs> What do you have against Tom Hanks? He got COVID. He was the first person in the world to get COVID, Harry. Show some respect. Uh, patient zero Tom, patient zero Hanks. And this is Cody Letterbox Narvis and pivoting us to number four. Uh, it should be noted the scoreboard. So uh, everybody uh, except Harry got on the board with that last question. However, Harry has the commanding lead two to one to one to one. Still very much anybody's game. I'm raising my eyebrows. You can't see it if you're listening to this. Uh, but for number four, we've got Parker Posey up next. Uh, maybe you've heard of her. She's credited as Brandy in the Doom Generation. Uh, Doom Generation, maybe you're familiar with that. It's directed by Greg Araki. We just talked about it for a long time. Parker Posey's initials, fun fact, are PCP. My question for you, what's her middle name? I'm going to give you three options. Is Parker Posey's middle name A, Christian? B, Colette, or C, Crystal? Aaron? Aaron isn't an option. I'm tossing the mic to Aaron to give his guess. LOL. Uh, Christian. Aaron is going Christian. Harry, what's your pick? I'll go with Colette. Harry is going with Colette. Jason? I'm going to make it hard for Kelly, and I'm going to say Crystal. Jason is going crystal. So the spread does not need to be covered. Kelly, maybe more difficult, but also you're now liberated to choose whatever one you, you feel the strongest about without any strings being attached. So I don't know. What, what's your heart telling you? I'm going to say Colette. All right. Kelly is going Colette. Um, it'd be funny if none of you were correct, but you covered the spread. So somebody has got to be correct. Parker Posey's middle name is reportedly, allegedly mm-hmm. a Christian. Parker, Christian Posey. Alrighty, so that gives us uh, an updated scoreboard of two for Aaron, two for Harry, one for Jason, one for Kelly. And for this fifth and final question, we're going to take a look at sweet soft boy baby girl, James Duvall, who portrayed a Jordan in the Doom Generation. Again, maybe you've heard of it. Going by Letterboxd Metrics, Duvall's two most popular films are 1996, yet again, 1996's Independence Day and 2001's Donnie Darko. So Letterbox says those again the two most popular that he's been in Independence uh Independence Day and Donnie Darko. My question for you, what is the difference in runtime between Independence Day and Donnie Darko? And if I, if I can get your answers in minutes, that would be great because it's uh it's let me check the clock. 2:35 a.m. is when we're recording this. My brain is absolutely fried and I can't do math otherwise. Uh but it should be noted when you you're going to give your guesses the person closest to the correct answer will get 4 points. The next closest will get three points, and so on and so forth. So with that, Aaron, you first. What is the difference in runtime between these two movies? You're not, you don't have to indicate which one is longer than the other. Just what is the gap in runtime between these two movies? I uh, have not seen Donnie Darko. Donnie Darko, just from cultural knowledge, seems like the most 87-minute movie of all time. It's got to be. Now, Independence Day, <laughs> I'm going to assume that's a natural two hours. Just, just, well, you know, uh, so I'm going to say 33 minutes. 
All right, Aaron is going 33 minutes. Thank you for your response. I will now transition this to Harry. This is my transition to Harry. Harry, I've transitioned to you. What is your guess? I'm going to go with 24 minutes. Harry is going at 24 Thank you for minutes. Not going 32 minutes. Could have been funny. Uh, Jason, is your answer going to be funny or is it just going to be a regular answer? What do you think? Regular answer, unfortunately, I'm not very good at being funny. I'm going to say 11 minutes. I remember Donnie Darko being a little bit longer than I recalled from childhood. Ooh, that's not good. That's not good for old Aaron. Well, maybe it is because maybe I just got further from the right answer. And maybe maybe Independence Day only feels interminable. Hmm. I like maybe. Shots fired. Uh, and, and Kelly, what's, what's your guess for the runtime gap between these two cinematic classics? Allegedly say 40 minutes. Whoa. Kelly is going 40 minutes. And I'm going to do some quick math here in the background to determine who is that. Okay. So we got that We're doing this. Oh, okay. So this is that. <laughs> oh, wow. I can't believe this is okay, better no. acting than Rose McGowan in the Doom Generation. He studied <laughs> stats. <laughs> Again, stats and basic arithmetic, two different majors at the University of Twin Cities. They're Not involved. really. I mean, uh, no. did you related. take any of those classes? Then I think all of your points no. are conditional, Harry. Uh, so just uh, something to you. Gonna, you're you're going to have to uh, get a stats degree in the next 30 days. Otherwise, your results in this game will be will be moot. <laughs> Uh, but I'm, I believe my tabulations are complete and, more importantly, accurate to fend off the the horde listening, waiting to, to jump into the comments and contest this. I'll just get ahead of this and say thank you. This has been the Doom Trilevation. The runtime of Independence Day is listed on Letterboxd as 145 minutes. And Donnie Darko... <sighs> Not feeling good about this one. <sighs> Donnie Darko is listed as... Oh. 114 minutes long, which makes for a difference Ooh. of 31 minutes. Uh, Aaron off by two. Uh, I have next closest as Harry, who's off by seven minutes. I'm going to say these out loud so I don't fuck them up. Kelly next uh, at nine minutes. And then Jason, 20 minutes off. All things considered, y'all got y'all, a nice little grouping. It could have it been a lot worse. Honestly, I underestimated how obnoxiously long Independence Day was, if anything. Yeah. Yeah, truly. Um, and hey, we speaking of obnoxiously long, this freaking episode. Am I right? Just I kidding. Uh, we have, we we we're on the verge of exceeding the runtime of the Doom Generation. So I'll just say, uh, Aaron six points, Harry five, Kelly three, Jason two. The POP that's pop off platform for new listeners uh, is Aaron's. So have at it, big guy. I don't need to say anything, Cody. I let my performance speak for me. Thank you. He let his performance speak for him and still talked for an hour and 15 minutes about a movie. Uh, we have a fun series at the Trilon currently. Uh, it's all hail Parker Posey, June 2023. There's also other stuff going on there. Check out Trilon.org. Um, I would point you toward a piece that uh, Mitchell Beaupre wrote for Letterboxd about this piece, about this movie. It's an interview with Gregor Rocky around the... Um, he wrote it for Letterboxd? Yep. He actually did. I'm not... I didn't misspeak. That's actually a Letterboxd article. I stand corrected. You stand... Listen, I know I fuck this up frequently. This isn't one of those frequent times. Return uh, of the Mac. I'm not going to do that for myself. I'm too humble. But you can check that out in the show notes. Um, also, check out parasphere.org for cool pieces by uh, local writers, uh, including some volunteers of the trial about movies that play there. Um, I'm not sure if there's one for this movie. I didn't have time to look it up. But if there is or isn't, you should check it out anyway, because it's got a cool slate of movies and a cool slate of writers who write about those cool movies. Um, speaking of cool people, uh, Kelly, would you tell us where people can find you? Uh, and Hi. if you want people to find you anywhere on the internet. 
Sure, yeah. Kelly Krantz. You can find me on Twitter at KrantzKaga underscore or Letterboxd at Lucky Haas. And uh, happy Pride, everybody. Happy Pride, everybody. Uh, find us on Twitter at Trilove Podcast. Find the trial and a trial and cinema. Try and me at Nintendoofus on Twitter. Uh, I've been Cody Narvison. Trying to me on Twitter at Cody underscore BH. Thanks for joining us, Kelly. Happy Pride, everyone. Have any of you ever fucked an animal? Oh, we only do that at the beginning of the podcast. Wait, that's a quote? I've been Harry Mack, and you can find me on Twitter at Shitaki Harry. Uh, my name is Aaron. I will also say happy pride making, I believe, was Harry the only one not to? Interesting. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at RB Please. Hey, we have to celebrate the straight boyfriends with bisexual girlfriends. There we that's go. That's the, that's Thank the you. Yeah, yeah, right, let's hear it up for them, folks. Let's, I, yeah, I, let's, hear, let's hear it for straight boyfriends and bisexual girlfriends. We got I it, Harry, the I real hero. The, yeah, it's like, I'm, I'm part of the, it doesn't really fit on the, the acronym, but I'm, the I'm in there. Family, it's really yeah. little font uh, between <laughs> two of the letters. <clears throat> I must piss. I must piss.